Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I don't want to call it a very special edition, Stu, but we're not going to do the mailbag to this week. We will get to it early next week, but we are joined by a special guest. He is our colleague from The Athletic. He is our group of five maven and, and really plugged in on a lot of things coaching carousel-wise. Chris Vanini, thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Good to be here, guys. All right. We are... We, we are drudging you up in the middle of NCA March Madness. Because we um, want you to write some coaching job profiles that we think might come open in nine months. I'm just kidding. No, we are doing our annual top 25 coaching rankings. And to be perfectly honest, Stu hates Ralph Russo now because he always comes <laughs> on this episode. And Stu feels like he's ganging up because he's on my side. Um, so he is basically kicked ralph to the curb this week and we are glad you can join ralph us. is covering the big east tournament let's not make it seem like i didn't uh gauge his interest but you're glad he is let's be honest yeah all right well we're I'll, say, I'll say first uh this was not done on purpose but looking quickly at both your lists i think i'm siding with Stu on this one so maybe we'll gang up on Whoa, this how about that julie noted that Stu hired chris so <laughs> <laughs> proceed well first of all guys people listening you need to go to the athletic uh bruce and i both put up our top 25 coaches list on thursday as i always make clear it's our annual top 25 coaches and as i always make clear with mine and this is where we get into a lot of differing rationale it's not a career achievement award i heavily i i weigh heavily recent performance recent performance being probably the last three seasons, maybe three to five seasons. And so the the longer you get, for instance, the longer Jimbo Fisher gets from that 2013 national title, the more that kind of gets phased out of the, not entirely, but phased out of the formula. I think Bruce takes a more um, long-term picture. I do. I, I always feel like it's like guys didn't forget how to coach, but I'll, I'll say this, and maybe it's because we've done this so much. I definitely feel like I have moved a little closer to Stu's side. It's going to be interesting when we talk about Jimbo Fisher, and we'll get to that in a little bit, because we both dropped him pretty far. I actually um, was a little surprised. I thought you might drop him out of the list, out of your top 25 altogether. Um, before we get to Chris's thoughts on what, what jumped out at Chris as he looked at both of our lists, um, let's talk about Jimbo Fisher first, because they obviously had a abysmal year last year, and it was coming off the the greatest recruiting class or ranking in, in the two, four, seven history. And they didn't even make a bowl game. And I don't know. So Stu, where do you have Jimbo Fisher right now? Yeah, I had him ninth last year. I dropped him all the way to 23rd, but like you, I, I couldn't, 
I don't think it would be, I think it would be very short-sighted to just go ahead and drop him off. And I realized he was kind of the punching bag off last season. I also realized that as a whole, his A&M tenure has been underwhelming, um, but they did finish number four in the country in 2020. So like if he has another five and seven season, I mean, well, he won't be on anybody's list next year, but you know, we're not I even find, coaching at, at Texas A&M next year. Uh, if the price of oil is right, I guess. Right. But uh you know, I think I, I will admit this because of my emphasis on recency, I do get prisoner of the moment sometimes. Some of my rankings this year were an overcorrection to probably having had somebody too high last year. And so that's that's what I'm trying to avoid here. I mean, Texas A&M has talent. They could come out this year and go 10 and 2, and we're both going. And if we had left them off the list entirely, we'd both be going, uh, why'd we do that? So it's a big drop. It's a steep drop. Um, but... I, I do think he's one of the 25 best coaches. Yeah, it's interesting because like on your rationale, like if you look at his last six seasons, he has one one really good year. He's had two duds in there last year and his last season at FSU and then very average by Texas A&M standard seasons. Um, but he you had him higher than me, by the way, we should mention. You I do. I have him at I have him at 17. He had a you know, he had four top 10 seasons in a five-year stretch at FSU. That's why he's here. Based off what he did at Texas, what he's done at Texas A&M at this point after last year, he wouldn't be in my top 25 without it. Um, Chris, do you I, consider Jimbo Fisher to be one of the 25 best coaches? Maybe do you consider him to be one of the top 10 to 15 coaches or not at all? No, I think you guys handled it right. Uh, it, he's, it's not top 10, but it's still top 25. Last year, notwithstanding, he hasn't been terrible at AM, you know, nine wins, eight wins, nine wins, eight wins. Like, that's not bad. It's a little bit behind Kevin Sumlin's pace at that point. But I think we need to remember with, with Jimbo is that we're not ranking him based on his salary and his buyout. We're just ranking him based on what he has done. And I think, you know, a guy who has three top 25 finishes uh, in five years, a top five finish last year, Drop him a ton. That makes sense. But I, I think you guys generally have him in a good range. I would still keep him in the top 25. So here's what I think we should do. Remember that awful old um, late night ESPN thing where Reese Davis was the judge? <laughs> um, let, I love let's, that. Let's, oh, you were a fan of that one? Big fan of that show. Final, uh, it was what? What was it? CFP college football final. Yeah, Reese Davis. I think I would have been fine rows. with that format if if the participants were different. It wasn't Mark May and Lou Holtz. So Bruce and I, you know, there's some obvious things that we have in common. Um, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, though I did mine as one A and one B. Can we before we get on this? Yeah. You I mean, yes, Kirby Smart has done a really terrific job. And to me, he's a clear number two. But just the fact that you would have Nick Saban as not the clear number one. Was like a ooh, really? Are you going to do that? Well, as I said, he's the greatest coach of all time. Um, but if we're doing the top twenty-five coaches of this moment, it's like in, when when Dabo and Nick Saban had split the previous four national titles and basically played each other to a draw. I did one A, one B, and that's that's what I'm doing. And you were here. wrong then, and I think you're wrong now. Oh, so you think Kirby will fall off the map a little bit like that? No, I don't. But I just think that. Nick Saban's won seven national titles. Kirby's won two. Nick Saban has not like he's had an, a staggering run of of great of really good seasons. 
you know, if Kirby wins, does the three Pete this year and no one's ever done that in college football, then I would say, yes, then I would, I could see the one, a one B. How about the fact that he's repeated for the first time and in, in nobody had done that since Saban with Kirby as his DC in 2010 and 2011. Like, I just want to acknowledge that just how dominant a run he's had here the last couple of years, but the ones where we have, uh, let's see, pretty, we differ on dramatically. Um, you have, let's do it. We, we can start with Ryan Kelly lower than I do. Yeah, I do. I, it's not to me, the guys in five through eight are fairly interchangeable. To me now, the bookend guys for me, which are James Franklin and Brian Kelly and the guys, the two guys in the middle are more similar than the two guys on the outside because uh, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley both, you know, for the bulk of their head coaching careers took over um, from their bosses who had really had that th- their programs running, especially Ryan Day's. Um, Brian Kelly has been a very consistent winner. He's done a terrific job. He obviously won, you know, he did win two national titles on the D2 level at Grand Valley. He done did really well at Cincinnati. Then, you know, he had one bad year at Notre Dame, but for the most part, he had a bunch of really good teams. Um, and he had a good first year at LSU. I still, you know, the the thing that's missing is he hasn't, you know, he played for a national title and they got blown off the field. He's had some big blowout losses on big stages. He hasn't really gotten close to that yet. And to me, that's the thing that is that is that is kind of missing to to challenge for like the top three guys. Now, why I have James Franklin ahead of him is because what he did at Vanderbilt was remarkable. If you look and again, you're going to say, oh, it's it wasn't like it was 30 years ago. It was in the last decade. And then he took over Penn State and Penn State was absolutely reeling. Penn State was at that point pretty toxic. And he's had uh, four 11-win seasons in the last seven years. So in that regard, um, you know, let's see. I mean, Brian Kelly, to me, it's national title, national title or bust because the three guys he's following all won national titles at LSU. Uh, so Brian Kelly, four versus eight, is not the one I want to really get deep into. It's our annual tradition. Yes. Who is more accurate on James Franklin? Now, I moved him up <laughs> quite a bit. From last year, um, he got, you know, he got Penn State back in the right direction. They won 11 games. They won a Rose Bowl. He had fallen all the way to 22 after the last couple of years for me. I moved him up to 10, but that is still not high enough to keep up with number five. Chris, what say you? I can't. I, I got to I side with Bruce on the Kirby Smart part of it, the Kirby Saban part, part of it. But I'm siding with Stu on the James Franklin part of it uh, because uh, he has not. Uh, made the playoff and done some things that some of the coaches behind him have like Ryan day or Lincoln Riley uh, or, or Brian Kelly. And Bruce's point about Vanderbilt is correct, but that was also a very different SCC East that Vanderbilt was in at the time. Georgia was not what Georgia is. Tennessee was not what, what Tennessee is. Um, he, it, it was a very good job, but I, I tend to agree with Sue where it's more. What have you done for me lately? Can I just, and, yeah. you know, before you totally diminish on the Vandy thing, Vandy had totally diminishing, top, <laughs> but like Vandy hadn't finished in the top 25 in 60 years. He was there three years. They finished in the top 25 in two of those three years. And then after he left, they went back to stinking. 
So they did. Yeah. No. Nobody would deny that what Franklin did at Vanderbilt. Well, I guess there are some people who try to downplay it. I remember people being like, well, it's nine wins, but look at the nine wins we're against. It's Vanderbilt. They won nine games. Huge accomplishment. But right. I mean, he's been at Penn State for a decade now, and I'm mostly focused on Penn State. And they, I won think, a, they won 11 yeah. games last year, Stu. They won 11 games four times. You know, they beat. And that's why I have him as a top 10 coach. My hesitation, as I wrote, is the 4 and 14 record against Ohio State and Michigan. So I guess it kind of comes down to what are your expectations of Penn State as a program? I know our producers' expectations, and I know most Penn State fans' expectations, and that's for them to be a national title contender. And he's gotten them to be very good, but he has not taken them to that wrong necessarily. Does it feel a lot like Brian Kelly to you? I'd say Brian no. Kelly, Notre Dame? Yeah, and remember, Brian Kelly's not in a conference at Notre right. Dame. He is now, but it... I feel like in a lot of ways, there are some similarities where he's gotten them very good, but never great. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. But, and, and credit I would to, say credit to Bruce, Bruce yeah. does have Jim Harbaugh ahead of James Franklin. So, so as far as the record against Michigan and Ohio State, I do think that's worth noting too. Chris, also, just so you know, and maybe you knew this, but like Stu and I used to really bicker over Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Um, quite a bit. And so we finally reached the same place on him. Yeah. I think I had him, I had him fourth. You have him fifth. Where do you have Stu? Where do you have Harbaugh? Um, I have him sixth. 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 But I think the notable thing is that I have him ahead of Ryan Day. Yes. And I don't think that's something any of either of us would have seen coming a couple years ago. Yes. You you both have Jim Harbaugh ahead of James Franklin, which is notable because of Stu would mentioned about the record against Michigan and Ohio State. Stu has Ryan Day higher. Bruce has Ryan Day. Okay. So, Bruce, you have James Franklin ahead of Ryan Day. I do. Has James Franklin beaten Ryan Day yet? Uh, he has not, but. You know, Ryan Day took over a program that was running at like full speed. He kept the best parts of it. I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to use the Jim Harbaugh, he, you know, the third baseline, but it is different. You know, one guy took over a program that was in the complete dumps that was totally toxic and he made it, you know, attractive to recruits and he built on it and he beat Urban Meyer to, to, to win a conference title. I'm not even talking about the Vanderbilt stuff now, you know? So um, I think that is, that is significant, but it's like, as I said, I don't think the gaps between once I got past Jim Harbaugh, I don't think the gaps between five and eight for me, it's all very similar. I I have a question about Harbaugh though. Uh, Mm -hmm. Bruce, you have Lincoln Riley down at seven Mm -hmm. behind Harbaugh, Franklin and day. Uh, Stu has Lincoln Riley at five uh, ahead of most of them. Why do you put Lincoln Riley uh, down at seven behind Ryan day behind Ryan day behind James Franklin behind Jim Harbaugh? Um, Part of it was, you know, when he was at Oklahoma, I felt like he's had good teams. They've also, you know, they haven't been really close to having a national title contender. I mean, they had the one year where they gave his first year when he took over for Stoops, you know, they had Baker and they gave Georgia all they could handle in the Rose Bowl. But then, you know, they played LSU. They could have lost by 70 in the Sugar Bowl in that game. I was in the building that day. And, you know, last year he did a really good job taking over, you know, the putrid USC team. And they did well, but I don't want to go too far over it because, I mean, they lost to Utah twice and then they lost to Tulane in the bowl game. 
Um, I just feel like Ohio State and Ryan Day, they played for a national title game. They were they didn't, you know, they didn't look like they were gonna win it, but they were it wasn't like they were embarrassed in the game. And then last year they came within a missed last second field goal of not just getting to the title game. I think, I don't know, maybe you guys disagree, but if they're in that game, I think they're winning that game. So, but they didn't, you know, they didn't do enough to win, but I, that's why I give them, you know, it's slight, but I gave Ryan day a slight edge. And I just feel like they're closer. If you ask me right now, who is, who has a better chance of winning a national title in the next couple of years, I would say probably Ohio state because they're, they're recruiting better defensive players on that side of the ball than USC is. And, that's fair. you know, Ryan, you know, Lincoln Riley is a terrific offensive coach like Ryan day, but I feel like that's the part that he still has to show. He can figure out to me. Lincoln yeah. Riley is like the perfect number five, like absolutely not going any higher than number five, but you know, he's finished top, 12 and every single year he's been a coach he's made the playoff four times three three or four three times. heisman winning quarterbacks in six years nearly took usc to the playoff in his first year after taking over a pretty brutal situation so but but you're right he hasn't been close to a national championship which is why i don't think you put him any higher than five but uh i was surprised you had him that low so we're pretty similar on kyle whittingham i was glad to see we both agreed that lance leipold is deserving of you have him 10th, I am 11th, very high recognition. We're similar on Fickle, Clawson, Kleiman. And here's our first one where there's a You huge threw a curveball at me, Stu. What's that? You threw a couple of curveballs at me, and you had one that I was like, whoa, this one's high. And that is number 12, you have Jeff Munkin from Army. Where do you have him? I don't. No, I have you don't have Jeff, Jeff Monken in your top 25 I coaches? I, have, oh, I, have, I know who Manini is siding with on this one. I have Troy Calhoun from Air Force at number 25. I don't have Jeff Monken's done a really good job. I, I just can't see putting him in the top. I, I surprised me to see putting him in the top 12. It's around where I mean, it's I've had him in that range for the last couple of years. Um, you know, Army was so bad for so long, and since 27, 2016. Which also coincided with Navy starting to fall apart, too. But even further back than that. Oh, well, look, he sees control of the rivalry. Eight and five, 10 and three, 11 and two, and five and eight in 2019. Nine and three, nine and four, six and six. I mean, what more do you want from the coach of Army? He's done a really good job, no doubt. Um, again, if I, if I am putting Troy Calhoun, if I, and again, you know, Chris, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because you know, you're, you're immersed in group of five, but if like, if you ask me, who do I think is a better coach between the two of them? I would say Troy Calhoun, you know, he has a longer track record at air force, but he's had a bunch of double digit win seasons there. Um, if I'm not, if like, if I, if I was going to work off of that, Todd, uh, Jeff Munkin is the 12th best coach. Then I would have to say like Troy Calhoun's in my top 10. And I just, I'm not going to do that. I would put both of them, Troy Calhoun and Jeff Mockin, in the top 25, but probably in the 15 to 22 range. So I think I think you've got Troy Calhoun maybe too low and Stu's got Jeff Mockin maybe too high. Um, Air Force also plays generally a tougher schedule. The Mountain West was not good this year, but the Mountain West is usually yeah. pretty tough. Army plays a pretty weak schedule. 
year to year. They play two FCS teams. That's why they missed a bowl game at six and six this year. So I think they're both deserving. I'm going to be doing group of five coach rankings next week. And both of these guys will be very high on it. Yeah, I'm probably overlooking Troy Calhoun, if I'm being honest. I mean, he's won 10 games in uh, each of the last two years, 11 games in 2019. Like, I should probably be giving him his due. I think that the starting point for me on those two is that Air Force was a really good program under Fisher DeBerry as well. Um, like, they've generally, of the three, been the most successful service academy uh, for decades, right? I'm not talking about but They the, are playing in a, di- in a much different caliber of opponents to me yeah i'm saying the bar to be the like munkin took over a program that was in much much worse shape i mean they hadn't i think they'd had one seat here i'll look it up he he did but but troy calhoun's also been there for 15 years you know that that that's impressive consistency no matter where you are and he was he's winning an average of probably like eight eight, nine off the names of some of the teams that you know that they beat a year ago Villanova, yeah, Army. Villanova, who's FCS, Colgate, who's FCS, Louisiana Monroe, who really struggles. Um, UConn, this was uh before, and then UMass and Navy. I mean, that was last year. The year before, it's uh Georgia State, Western Kentucky is a good win. UConn was terrible. Miami, Ohio is at the you know, towards the bottom of that league. Uh Bucknell. I think Miami of Ohio might have won the Mac that year. Chris would know that. 2021 they were seven and six no they won it in 2019 i think yeah they were seven and six but still i mean you know you guys have sold me on i should i should be giving more respect to troy calhoun but i will stand by my jeff munkin rating okay the one i wanted to get to is that you have chip kelly of ucla uh number 14 14, number 14 in the country I do not have him on there, and I'm going to be honest, and I hope Ship's not listening. I did not consider putting him in there. Let me read the description here. He's been one of football's top game planners and play callers for years, and that keeps showing up. It took him a while to get things heated up in Westwood, but now the Bruins are rolling, going 17-8 the past two seasons. Um, They've definitely gotten better every single year he's been there. Nobody could deny that. But that's also kind of the the reason I don't have him in there is it took him five years to get to nine and four. And this is not uh, Oregon state, right? This is, it's this not is Oregon not state, Arizona. It's UCLA. Jim it Moore is. won 10 games there. You know what UCLA is? You know how many top 25 seasons UCLA had had since 1998? Three. That's not a lot. I think, I think. And now they have one. Well, they do have one, but also <laughs> the guy's record, he's won almost 70% of his games as a power five coach. I mean, you're completely throwing out what he did at Oregon. If you didn't I wouldn't say I'm completely throwing it out. You but... absolutely are, because if you didn't consider him, the, I mean, and what he did at He was Oregon, one of the best coaches in college football at that point. There's no question about it. He was so far ahead of the curve. Oregon, Stu. We has... now have five years of evidence that says – He's decent, but he's not an elite coach like he was then. Oregon has had five seasons in its school history where they had top four teams. He had three of them in four years. That's not an accident, right? Oh, it was one of the most impressive runs probably in Pac-12 history. Um, but then it's not like he got to Westwood and picked up where he left off. Three and nine, no, four and eight, I, I three think... and four, eight and four, nine and four. And again, 
I think like, it's trending in the right direction. They just got Dante Moore, who's one of the most coveted recruits, you know, quarterbacks in the country. They've done yeah, better. Yeah, if UCLA goes more. out there and wins 10 games next year, I'll, I'll have them on my list. But right now, again, Jim Mora, who got run out of Westwood after, what, five years? Had back-to-back 10 and three seasons. Chip has not yet gotten to that mark. He has not. No, I mean, look, I'm, I don't have him in my top 10. But again, I'm considering what he is, what he also did at Oregon as a big part of that. I'm All right, so let's turn it to the judge. Okay. I'm going to side with Bruce just because I think not having him in the top 25 at all is uh, surprising. 14, maybe a little bit high, but you can't ignore that almost unprecedented run at Oregon. And he clearly does have UCLA very much in the right direction. If we do want to be you know, thinking about recency before this year, you could make the case to not have him to not have him up there. But I think after last season and the clear direction that they're going, not that this is projecting forward, but I think it's fair to have him in the top 25. So I side with Bruce. All right. So uh, are we, we've split decisions so far. I don't know how many I've made. I sided yeah. with Bruce on Kirby Smart, sided with Stu and James Franklin. So I guess two, two for one in favor of Bruce. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna I think even this up. So you have somebody who I had at number twenty last year, but I do not have in my rankings. You have Mike Gundy number fourteen overall. It's kind of surprising to me a little bit because this usually would be a flip thing for us in terms of, um, you know, Gundy's coming off a seven and six season. They've had a really rough off season around the program, um, and you didn't really move them. And I'm curious. I moved him down two spots, but let me just say, like, I it, I can't even comprehend how you wouldn't have him in your top 25 at all. Like, literally the year before, goal on stand from winning the Big 12, they go to the Fiesta Bowl and beat Notre Dame and finish number seven in the country. The year before that, they finished number 19 in the country. Since 2010, he has had 11 and 2, 12 and 1, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, 7 and 6. 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 10 and 3. Then a few down years, no question. Seven and six, eight and five. They're still going to bowls. 12 and 2. I don't understand how you can have them off there completely. Again, I think this is the one where we're almost inverted because you know the last um the last few years they had the they had the 12 win season, but then last year they were really a, I think a disappointment. And they were. They fell apart. Um, and I don't feel very good about them going into 2023 with the, some of the issues they had with the portal and everything like that. Also, and maybe this is something, um, you know, that is a real thing with with us, you know, when we cover somebody is it's what you've seen in person that kind of takes on added weight. I've done a, you know, did a, you know, did some bedlam games he's really struggled in that he's three and 15 in bedlam. That's the most important game. Um, you know, like the guys before him, I'm not saying they did great, but like Les miles actually, you know, was like 500 in bedlam in this brief time there. Even Bob Simmons, granted Oklahoma wasn't rolling when Simmons was there. Simmons struggled, but he, I think he has as many wins in bedlam as, as Gundy does. Um, so I, I mean, I definitely considered him. And like I said, I had him 20 the year before, but I just feel like the trajectory of the program after last season and now where I felt like it's been in the off season, it's hard to keep it to 25. And this was one of the guys that ended up, you know, ended up bumping off. I'm definitely concerned about some of the stuff that's happened since the season ended. 
you know, a four-year starting quarterback and Spencer Sanders transferring, a bunch of receivers transferring. Uh, he's going to be on his third defensive coordinator in three years. But I kind of felt like, let's wait and see. Like, if, if, it, if it implodes, then we'll revisit it. We have written him off before and he surprised us. So I'm just not trying to project forward. And now we go to the judge. Giving the ruling to Stu here. Mike Gundy still has to be in the top 25. Top 15 is fine. They won the Fiesta Bowl a year ago. Like, it's not like this has been a terrible run. This was not, this was a down season for sure. All the points Bruce makes about the long-term questions are fair. But to not even have him on, uh, especially when you do kind of want to rely on uh, a, a track record of history, you know, five top 20 finishes in the last eight years, you know, number three finish in 2011 when they arguably should have played for the national championship. Uh, I think Gundy's got to still be in your top 25, even the top 20 for sure. So goes to Stu. Also, I realized I sided with Stu on the service academies. No, I'm sorry. I sided with Bruce on the service academies. So I think we're uh, two and two now. Two and two. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We are going to get into what I think is the most interesting discussion of this. And it is somebody who I consider, but I ended up bumping just because I was like, ooh, I, got, I probably need 29 guys on here realistically. And that is your number 19 coach. And he is one of the most polarizing figures in coaching has long been that since he first got his head coaching job. And that is our friend Lane Kiffin. You have him at number 19. I'm going to read what you wrote. I think I got caught up in the moment last year when you had Kiffin 11 after Kiffin produced the Rebels' first ever 10-win regular season. They slipped to 8-5 and five in 2022, and he has still produced three top 10, three 10-plus win seasons in his six seasons at FAU and Ole Miss, but low teens is more representative ranking. Um, I did not have him. Like, look, Lane's a really good offensive coach. So when you look at it, a SEC coach had pointed this out to me 
over the winter when went and over the winter like when the auburn stuff was heating up he was like do you know how many top attempt uh, top 25 teams who have finished in the top 25 that lane kiffin has beaten at old miss and i said no and he goes two indiana and arkansas and i was like that can't be right then i went back and looked in his whole coaching career dating back to tennessee and usc lane kiffin has only beaten three teams that finished in the top 25 in his whole time there um so here's why I was like, the more I looked at it last year, how can that be? How can that be possible? Well, for this one is that thing, possible, Stu. Last that means we can year, just name the three right now. Cause you're saying it was Indiana and Arkansas. And then I distinctly remember him beating, knocking Oregon, Oregon out of the national title race. That's USA. it. That is it. Like last year, the whole year he's in the sec West. They only faced two teams were in the top 25. And, and one of them turned out to be Kentucky, who ended up falling out of the top 25. And they should have lost that game. You know, so, I mean, here's the thing. You know, we're, he went 10-3, and three the, you know, a year ago, which was a really good year. They were 2-3 and three against top 25 teams all time. He is 2-14 two, two and 14 against top 10 teams. So the more I thought about it was, you know, his first year at Ole Miss was okay. It was a 500 year in the pandemic. It's a tough year. Second year was a good, really good year. Not a great year, but a good year. And then year three was a dud. You know, they started out fast. They didn't beat anybody. And then they just kind of fell apart at the end of the year. So to put him in the top 20, you're basically basing it off of two of three years at FAU. You may as well have, and I don't want this to be a knock on Lane or Jeff Trailer, but you may as well have Jeff Trailer in there because... I probably you, should have if, Jeff Trailer. If in you there. look what he did, I mean, he was not good at USC, where they ended up firing him. And at Tennessee, all he really did was get people pissed off. Now he's grown from that. I do think he's grown from it. Um, but to have him in the top 20, I don't know what you're really basing it off of. By the way, this um full disclosure, we are we are recording this before i've actually turned it in and now i'm thinking shoot there's a couple of changes that i might need to make not oh, don't do this to us too not kiffin but it just shows so so i was saying this to you like when i do these things i feel like i don't know after you get to about after like six or seven maybe eight you're like ah oh, there's nobody that i feel like should be this high right you go through a period of that and then you get to the end and it's like i can't limit it to 25 jeff no trailer sure. should be in there troy calhoun should be in there Lane Kiffin should be in there. Um, so I definitely got prisoner of the moment with Lane Kiffin last year. I should not have had him 11th. That was a, that was, you know, at that point though, he had, he had had, you know, Chris remembers like FAU, he had a had great two seasons there. Then he has in his second season at Ole Miss, he has another double digit win season, but I might have lost a little bit of perspective there. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty blown away by that stat, Bruce. What I will say is three 10 win seasons in his last six as a head coach, not too shabby. And also it's not just, you know, we have to look beyond just wins and losses. I think he is. Um, You're going to build up the social media. Now you're going to talk about his Twitter no. account. No, I think two things. One, we know he's a great offensive coach. I like the way he tailors his offense. Like his offense can look very different from one year to the you next. You didn't even consider Chip Kelly, who's way more innovative than Lane Kiffin. And, and you're now you're talking this up. 
You think Chip yeah, Kelly? By the way, you didn't have Mike Chip Leach. Kelly was you one of the most Mike innovative Leach coaches on before, and Mike Leach was way more innovative and had way more of influence than than Lane has. Chip Kelly was one of the most innovative coaches in the sport for four, in the early 2010s. You think he's a more innovative coach today? Yes. Than because Lane people actually utilize how like he changed the practice schedules of how teams practice because he ended up taking track models and implementing them. That's way more of an in fact, you know, influence and an impact. But like I said, you didn't even have, you didn't have Mike Leach on before. Mike Leach's influence on offense is way more profound in football than Lane's has been. You can't play that. I don't think I've never had Mike Leach on the list. Maybe I didn't last year, but he's, he's been in there at times. Um, Do we want a ruling? Remember for being one of the all time great offensive minds. All right. Um, what say you on Lane Kiffin, Chris? Siding with Stu. Having Lane Kiffin on this list is fine. I, I think 19, 20-ish range. If you look at some of the other coaches that Stu has around him, I think that's completely fair. He Lane has had some absolute duds, some very low lows and some very high highs. You know, 10 and 3 at Ole Miss, 6 and 2 in the conference in 2021. Uh, it was very impressive. He took over FAU. They had come off of like three straight five and seven seasons, and he won 10 games twice in three years. Uh, I, I think having him on this list is right and and, and should be done. So point to Stu. I also recalculated. So three to two I, now. I, I No, it's three to three. I sided with Bruce on the uh, Chip Kelly part. I recounted this all up while we were talking. Okay, okay. Okay, so we All right, all next one, Bruce. I was very surprised to see you saw Kirk Ferentz in there. Um and I've admittedly been all over the map on him over the last decade or so, but I just think what's happening right now, the way he's the, the way he continues to stick by his son, even though they have like some Brian Ferentz or not, like they've had one of the worst offenses in the country for several years now. They won 10 games the year before with one of the greatest like interception, you know, ratios you'll ever see. Uh, he's not one of the 25 best coaches right now because you can't be a top 25 coach and only have, you know, um, like Lincoln Riley has one side. I would, I, I don't disagree with you that. Lincoln in the but top, he's got teams compete, competing for playoffs. You know, Kirk Ferentz is going eight and five most years and he, and he's stubbornly uh, sticking by his, like, it's just such a, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's not so much record or it's just negligence with well, the way he's running his program right now is negligent. Um, I have, that's why I dropped him down. I mean, he's been in the top, he's finished in the top 25 and four of the last five seasons and two of those years, he won 10 games. I mean, I can't disagree with what you're saying. That's why I dropped him down. He's winning in spite of his son. Um, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't really disagree with the rationale you're saying. It's just, he's still winning. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm going to say this and you can determine whether we should keep it or not. Um, like I remember at our offsite last, whatever it was May in Arizona, I, uh, we had a panel and, and Scott Docterman, our great Iowa beat writer was up on the panel and I had asked him something about, um, you know, this very dynamic. And he goes, well, they would, you know, Kirk would explain it as complimentary football. And you and I have talked a lot about complimentary football um, on this podcast over the last probably three months. And 
you know, it's, it sometimes it feels inexplicable. Um, but I, like I said, they've won um, pretty consistently there. You know, he's had before this stretch of the last five years where he's had four top 25 seasons, he has had five ten, top 10 seasons before his son really had his hands on the offense. Um, so, I, uh, you know, again, I have him 23rd. It's not like I have him 10th, but I don't know. Chris, bail me out. I am siding with Bruce. On this wow, one. Kirk, Kirk, I did Kirk not Ferris, see that coming. Kirk Ferentz, top 25. At number 23, I think is completely fair. Bruce makes the point. He's 43 and 18 over the last five years. And again, he is he a top 25 coach? Well, they've been a top 25 team for the last five years. I mean, that that certainly counts for something. Here's a question. Do either of you know off the top of your head the last time that he finished uh, with a losing record? Yeah, I do exactly know why, because it was what spawned me to regrettably call him one of the five worst coaches in the country. Uh, it was like 2012. 2012. That is okay. right. That is a long yeah. time ago. Yes. And, and and even since then, he's only had one season of seven and six or worse. It was a seven, six in 2014, but it's 12 and two, eight and five, eight and five, nine and four, 10 and three, six and two, 10 and four, eight and five. Like that's that's. That's around top 25, I think, for me. And, and, and he, he, he absolutely deserves all the blame in the world for keeping his son on as the offensive coordinator. And I think the reason that is so frustrating to so many people is because the defense is so good and one of right. the best in the country. And they deserve credit for also having one of the most uh, talented and opportunistic defenses on the flip side as well. So I'm just giving that point to Bruce, which gives Bruce a four to three lead. Well, there's only really one more. We're getting into minor discrepancies at this point. Um, Mike Norvell. Um, you Do you not 20. have him in there? Not yet. Um, wow. great, I am surprised you, you do not have Oh, Mike. no, wait, 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 wait. Time out. There's a much bigger one than that. Much bigger. Hey, you don't have Mike Norvell in your top 25? I don't have Kalen DeBoer in there at all, and you have him 16th. we got to talk about that. Okay, um, well, we have two to talk about, maybe quickly, but... Um, well, that one, I mean, having a guy 21st instead of not ranked to me is not a great controversy, but we... The, the part that... The so, thing is just going to get into a difference in methodology. Can I, can I bring up... I do want to bring up Mike Norvell, though, because I have a... Like, Mike Norvell was one of the ones I weighed against Lane Kiffin. And, you know, he took over a much worse situation at Florida State than Lane did at Ole Miss. And I think he's got that thing built going this way. Now, look, I like some of the portal additions Lane has had, but if you asked me, and I will ask Chris because he covers Group of Five, so he's you know saw Memphis and obviously, and Memphis is as backslid since he's left there. Um, you know, and FAU has too. But I mean, would you if you were ranking these two coaches, Lane and Mike Norvell, Chris? Where who would you have higher? That is a great question and a very difficult one because their careers are in, in, in some ways different and in some ways, in some ways not. I think Both really I good offensive coaches, very, very good offensive coaches. I think the highs that Mike Norvell reached at Memphis, he took over a program in good shape. Justin Fuente rebuilt that program from a, decade ago when Tommy West said, you know, basically, are you going to get rid of the program? And he took Memphis to a cotton bowl 
you know, where, where they almost beat Penn State. He didn't coach in that game, but they 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 played Penn State in the in that year. And they had the talent that they had, Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson, Kenneth Gainwell, uh just ridiculous. I mean, if you look at that 2018 Memphis team, there's a load of NFL guys on that team. And and his offense deserves credit for that. It, it's a much smaller track record for Norvell, but I think I would side with Mike Norvell right now because of the trajectory that he has Florida State on right now. Um, so it, it's close. I'd put them right near each other, but I think I would. I think I would take Norvell. I'll I'll be with a smaller sample size than Lane Kiffin. All right, let's do the uh, Kalen DeBoer. Is well, wait, let me just say real quick. You know, it's not like I don't. It's not like I think it's crazy to have Norvell ranked by any means. Um, I think I just want to see one more year uh, because great season last year, 10 and three. I'm a little, and so everybody's just kind of assuming, and I do lean this way that they're going to get even better. Like he's, he's, he's got a great quarterback coming back. You know, he seems to be recruiting at a very high level. I'm a little worried that we may be, um, that, that we haven't looked closely enough at how they got to 10 and three last year. Now, obviously a huge win over LSU at the beginning of the season. In the middle of the season, they lose to Wake. That's fine. At NC State and Clemson, three three losses in a row. Then they come back and, you know, everybody's excited because they finished on such a big run. Well, those teams they beat, Georgia Tech, under 500. Miami, under 500. Syracuse went to a bowl. They beat them 38-3. Louisiana, a 6-6 six and six Florida team. And then in the bowl game, a 6-6 six and six Oklahoma team. Like, aren't you a little bit concerned that it may turn out to be that that was a deceivingly a deceiving 10 and three. It uh, could, but I think you also had a lot of first year guys in there. Some of them are, which will be back like Jared verse. So I think there's room to grow. He, he, they've taken such leaps in three years from where yes, they, they were that I think that that is part of its talent, but part of its coaching part of it's just everybody understanding and getting that culture in place. So we got to talk about Kalen DeBoer, but I think this is literally just a difference in, in methodology. Kalen DeBoer was how did one of the most remarkable turnarounds in college football last season. Washington was four and eight under Jimmy Lake. He takes them to eleven wins. Turns Michael Penix. Well, Michael Penix was already a household name, but turned him into an even bigger star. Beats Texas in a bowl game. Nobody could dispute that. I just couldn't put him on there yet. That was only his second full season as a college head coach. He had the the, the twenty twenty as an FBS know, barely, as an FBS head coach as an FBS. So he barely had the. Um, they barely had a season in 2020, had a good, really good nine and three season at Fresno State, gets the Washington job, goes 11 and two. So, yeah, it's been a great couple of years, but it's just such a small sample size in terms of FCS. Obviously, he had a great run in NAIA. In terms of FBS, you mean? Yeah. And it, yeah, Bruce, are, are you are you considering his run at Sioux Falls? For for people who don't know, he was, Kalen DeBoer was the head coach at NAIA Sioux Falls from 2005 to 2009 when he went 67 and three and won three national championships. Uh, I, you know, I didn't weigh that heavy, but it was, he was a successful, a wildly successful head coach there. He like the first time I'd ever really heard about him was when coaches I talked to in the big 10 were like the guy at Iowa, at Indiana, the offense coordinator. Yeah. Really good. And that's where Penix, you know, connected with him. And when he got to, fresno they got rolling again because they were you know what i you know mentioned about him is 
he took over programs that each had gone four and eight right before he was there. Fresno was four and eight before he got there. And then he got them rolling by year two. Um, and then certainly last year it was an amazing job. He did at Washington to get them to 11 wins. Um, I think, you know, he's proven to be an, you know, their offense had really struggled for a little while at Washington and they were so explosive last year. And obviously Penix was a big part of that, but he was a big part of getting him there. And I think, um, I get where you're coming from with, you want to see a little more, but, um, you know, again, I, I think what he did, where he has them going, like I expect them to be a top 15 team. I think he's, I mean, again, I didn't have him in the top 10, but I think he's a top 20 coach. Now we'll see what happens if they, you know, hit a little adversity, how he handles it. So that's our last, the last decision for Chris. Is it, is, is it too soon to put Caitlin DeBoer in there? Or do you agree with Bruce to go ahead and put him in there? I think the point about two and a half years of being an FBS head coach is certainly a good point. And yes, one year from now, if they're a top 15 again, he's top 15, maybe top 10 coach for, for some of you guys, depending on where this goes. It, if we're not counting the NAI stuff back in the day, Stu doesn't have him on the list, but you put him at your like number two, just missed. So I'm, I'm considering that 27. So Bruce had him at 16. Can we, can we hang on one thing on if yeah. we're talking about Stu's just missed, he has Shane Beamer on there. Shane Beamer's only coached two seasons. How do you square that? I don't have to, he's not on the list. <laughs> they're yeah, both, be, both, they're both not, not in it. Close, but not in it. Yeah. I mean, why even mention him then is, I guess, my point. Um, let me let one other name. Because you didn't have, I, I'm confused. We had to talk about Shane Beamer because you have him. I mean, uh, we had to talk about Caitlin DeBoer because you have him so high. So just to be clear, Chris, it sounds like yeah. you cited yes. him on that one. Let, let, yeah. so we if, if, we're talking, right? if we're talking 16 or 27, I'm, I'm closer to Stu for now. But this could very much change in a year. Trust me, if he wins double-digit game next year, he'll be he'll be right around where you have him, Bruce. One other name I want to just talk about, because I was surprised you had him. Um, and it's a guy we both like, and it was a guy I would have liked to have had on my list, but I just couldn't after going four and eight last year. You have Matt Campbell at 24. Was that, I mean, did you? Yeah, that off? I was, I was shocked. You not shocked, but I thought for sure you would not only have him, but have him higher than me. Cause you're a big fan of his and, and unlike me, you don't tend to hold one season against somebody. Um, he's definitely slipped. I think I two years ago, we probably both had him in the top 10 or close to it. Um, they had a bad season last year, no question. But I think, I mean, on the whole, his Iowa State run is still the best in school history, I think. So, I mean, people don't necessarily realize just how bad Iowa State football history is. And so the fact that, you know, he took them to a Fiesta Bowl. They should have been better. That last Brock Purdy's last season, they should have been better. And that, yet, was the, that was the year I, I, struggled, I struggled with because they were seven and six, and it felt worse than that because they opened their preseason like top six. Yeah. They had a lot of, you know, a bunch of close losses, and it felt worse. Like I said, it felt worse than seven and six. And then I think last year, you know, to go, see them go one and eight in the Big 12. Um, like I was struck, like I wanted to have him on there because I really, you know, I respect him about as much as anybody who's coaching in F in FBS. And I just, 
I don't know. I was surprised you had him in there at all, just because, like, again, this is where we're inverted. And yeah, if I can, I'll blame you for this. Look, even with the bad season last year, his 523 winning percentage makes him the first Iowa State coach above 500 since Earl Bruce, 1973 to 78. So that's why he's what was Earl hanging on percentage there. By the way, and I remember well that he's, his programming percentage definitely took a hit because going into last year, Campbell was higher than Earl Bruce. Um, Earl Bruce was uh, 36 and 32 okay. for 529. Matt Campbell is 46 and 42 for 523. So th- this is either a point in Matt Campbell's favor or not, but almost all of their losses the last two years are one score games. They are, yeah. I-, I think, two and 11 I have. In one score games over the last two years, a couple things so you, go the other way. That Texas game last year, maybe things look a lot different. On the other hand, maybe that's just a, something and, he struggles and with. That's that's similar for Iowa. Like those programs that aren't going to out talent you. Like it really comes down to how you win the close games. Is that a plus? Is that a, yeah? I mean, do you count that as a good thing or a bad thing if you're a head coach? Right. That de- it depends on your perspective. You could put that either way. You could say you were a couple of plays from, you know, going six and six, seven and five, making a bowl game, or you can't win the big ones. You can't win the close ones. That's uh, that's fair. But I think actually I would still keep him top 25 because of what he's done before and what he took over. So that is a point in Stu's favor. And is that the last one? That's the last one. I win. No, that, that that tie. I, I I have I have it at five and five. Oh, okay. I, I sided with Stu on Mike Gundy, James Franklin, Lane Kiffin, uh, Kalen DeBoer, Matt Campbell. Sided with Bruce on the Service Academies, Kirby Smart, Chip Kelly, Kirk Ferentz, and Mike Norvell. I'll take it. You know, that's a sign that we. I mean, that's frankly a sign that we. You know. Um, that that's that's the perfect if you're scripting an embrace debate type show, you'd want it to end up in a draw. I will say the one coach who you you didn't mention him earlier, but neither of you have him really at all on your list or even close. Uh, and that is Jeff Trailer at UTSA, who is 30 and 10 in two years. He's 23 and five over the last two with two conference championships, moving to the American athletic conference this year a guy who will certainly be a power five interest very soon already was um last year as i said i haven't finished writing (laughs) he may or may not be on this list by the time you read it you're stuck you're not you're not i i I, that was a big oversight but but but, but bruce doesn't have him either so i just think i don't in terms of guys who weren't at all kind of in the mix for either of you he jumped out to me i think more than anybody else he's done a really good job be barely missed L said yeah. one before. Um, I don't know if this fits into the same category for me, but was like, you know, I really thought hard about Jamie Chadwell was a group of five guy who he would have been on it last year for sure. You know, and I mean he was nine and three last year, and that quarterback had you know health issues, and um, that's another one. Yeah, he's he's thirty nine and twenty two at Coastal, including twenty uh, thirty one and six over the last two. He's an, he's another one who we didn't talk about it all in this podcast until now. Guys, we've been having so much fun that um, I completely missed that uh, we've gone past one o'clock and I'm supposed to be on a Zoom with two of our colleagues. So we're going to have to wrap. You can blame me, Stu, as you always do. Chris, thanks so much for doing this on very short notice. 
Absolutely, guys. Till next year. Okay. You can look for Chris's uh, group of five ratings in a couple days on The Athletic. As I always say at the end of every episode, we'll see you next time. Thank you.